So it's a teaching anatta, not self, and uh, this is one of those teachings that can cause a huge amount of philosophical and uh, dialogue and controversies. What is it? You know, is it annihilation? Is it some eternal self? The Buddha said, "This isn't yourself, but your real self is something else." Or what? <laughs> and actually, the Buddha. Buddha's teaching method was not philosophical or metaphysical. He wasn't positing any any ultimate realities or cosmic worldviews in those sen- in that sense of it. But it's really a, it's a meditation teaching. These were people who was teaching were meditators, and sometimes people who weren't meditators he wouldn't teach them this. He just they're just too confused. And you know, one of them was asking, you know, what is this? Is there a self? And he said, well. Buddha was silent, is it not a self? He was silent. So whatever you say, people get confused because it's not, is there a self, isn't there a, isn't there a self? But as a meditator, what do you place your ground upon? What, what do you really establish yourself upon? Yeah, that's the point. And recognizing that these, these, these factors that we very much assume to be our identity feel that they grip us and control us and move us around, yeah, they 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 are in practice what feels like ourself as an experience. This is me being hurt. This is me wanting to do something. This is him getting on my nerves. This is her looking interesting. He's like this, you know, all this stuff. That's the way we, the way it comes to us. Particularly at the level of I'm, you know, I'm this and I'm getting affected by that and I'm, I want one of those, you know. So, in, in meditation practice, that's that's the bit, isn't it? Really, that's in the holy life. That's the bit. That particular experience, and it, it it locks up. It gets very frustrating when that is said to be a self. You know, I am the one who is experiencing this as a passive thing. This is happening to me. You know, I am the object of things, and then this is what I feel my future should be. So I'm the subject, I'm the leader. And both so that there's this sense of self as a me, as an object that gets things land on it, and as an agent, as an active force that decides and, you know, plans for the future and works things out and so forth. And those are big issues for people in their lives. And as meditators, these are also big issues. Living the holy life, these are big issues for us. And it's an utter teaching is a, is a Hopefully the idea of it is, is it can give you some way of relieving the pressure of those the experience by questioning, by breaking up the sense of me as an object into feelings, perceptions, you know, impressions, form, you know, this physical form. Happens to me, I'm sick, I'm short, I'm fat, whatever. You know, I'm male, I'm female. You know, really challenging that or the the impressions, you know, I'm in a good space, I'm in a bad space, I'm one of these, people don't like me, I'm fun, I'm misunderstood, whatever it is, these these impressions that we feel stuck with sometimes. And then also the agent. You know, I've got a plan, idea, I can do, and then I feel like I can't quite do what I should be able to do. And or, or I, or I can't do enough of what I really want to do. 
Yeah. And these, these, they've got some charge in them, haven't they? And these are things that really cause suffering to arise. So the Nata teaching is really a teaching to, really pragmatic teaching to eliminate or relieve this pressure of the me and the I. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just saying, forget about it, it doesn't exist. It's saying, well, let's have a look at these, this experience that we're having. And we all of us have. Let's really look into it. And say, you know, is it ever the case that you could say, might let my impressions be this way, let my impressions, my perceptions be the way I want them to be? You know, you have these moments when it's like that. Things are just really nice and peaceful and spacious, and way it goes, and then not enough of that, or it changes. So he said, you know, well, upon this basis, when you begin to notice that over the long term, not just as a one-off thing, but as a particular pattern, something that goes, you can't really make that into your me, your, your, you know, what you are, because it's always shifting. But what you can say about it is it's the results. You know, it's the results of things happening. You know, maybe you have a difficult argument with someone and you get the resu- result as a feeling like a fed up, sour or hurt me. You know, that's what it feels like. This result of particular actions with Parker. Mm-hmm. And then the, the sense of I am, you know, the leader is the volitional, you know, the wish to do something, the, you know, the wish to be... You know, it's a kind of movement towards the future, isn't it? The I am, or perhaps into the past, how I was, but it's always moving. The I am is always a thing with an arrow, forwards, backwards, somewhere else, you know, making you think, you know, it's always, it's always a leading, moving thing. Just check it out. It's a moving thing, moving along. It can't be considered to be a stable entity. It's called karma. It's action. It's the inclination towards action. You may, when you say action, it's not a physical action. It's the action of the mind, the action of speech, the way our mind moves, jumps. You know, I hear something. I go, you know, and then me wants to do something about it. And you can notice how for different people that's different, isn't it? We all, we're amazing, live in a similar situation and yet some people are motivated this way, that way. Their I am goes in different directions. And the sense of what the results are different, you know, for different people. But we can recognize it's all cause, caused and there's a causative force which seeks happiness, satisfaction, karma. Karma, the agent of karma is sankhara. Volitional tendencies, volitional formations, programs. This is is one primary meaning of sankhara, the karma-forming tendency. 
And then, so when you contemplate that, you try to look into, well, is it good? Is it bad? Is it based on clarity or is it based on illusion? Is it negative, positive, whatever it is? Because so, then you can reap re- results of that. That's the teaching on karma. Teaching on karma and teaching on not-self actually fit together very well. Sometimes people say, well, if, if there's no self, who is it who receives the results of actions? That's when you're getting it wrong, you know. <laughs> this, you know, the self is the result of the action, the apparent self, the, the sense of this happens to me and the sense of I'm going to do. There's two slightly separate things. The me sense is much more um, something that's landed on me, I'm stuck with, uh, you know, the results of experience. The eye is the mover, going on to the next thing. Having a good result, the eye is inspired, let's do some more. Bad result, eye is not happy, change it. So you get this continual feedback between the two. So that's the way it is, that's the way it goes, and that's useful because then uh, teachings are that you can, once you begin to understand this process, then you can think, well, actually, what are going to bring me the greatest benefits? What are the karma brings me the greatest benefits? We might think, well, ethical. So to recognize ethics is important, free from regret. Kindness is important, free from soundness or ill will. Compassion is important. Relinquishment is important. You start to begin to cultivate these down to the refined karma of meditation. Steering the mind is skillful. Finding a skillful object, the one that fits suits, is helpful for you. Practicing with it, adding the qualities that are needed. So you use the sankara to provide this quality of good karma, which means that the, the me sense feels settled. You see, there's our kind of samatha practices. However, you do those. Often a lot of meditation is just this. A lot of life is just this, isn't it? Finding the right place to live, the people you want to be with, where you feel, yeah, I feel comfortable, I'm okay. Finding the inclination, the job, the pursuit, you feel okay. You want to be a monk, you want to be a nun. You know, checking those out. Most people like to move around a bit, place to place. You know, it's like sometimes you just get kind of stuck. Situation, freshen up. It's all part of the life. It's a flowing thing, holy life. You recognize that however good our intentions are, sometimes we just aren't making it. Things are stuck where you know, the resultant karma or the patterns are too ingrained and you want to find some other way, some practices, some meditations, some things that help to loosen that, change it, shift it around. So this means we'd never need really get kind of sense of helplessly stuck internally, externally, practice. Why, you know, it's a life rather than a technique because it's not a, you know, sometimes a technique will work in some circumstances and for a period of time and then it's time, you know, you run out on that one. 
you can shift it to something else. There's a range of meditation techniques and a range of times when sometimes it's just time to just basically sit back, you know, let it go. Times when you really need to charge up, put a lot of effort in. So you begin to sense, get this sense of monitoring your the karma, the results, according to the results. So Anatara is not a kind of uh, careless teaching, like no self, it doesn't really matter what you do, because there's no, nobody there anyway. It's actually a teaching of incredible moment-by-moment responsibility. Because there isn't a substantial self, you're being formed continually out of your actions. <laughs> that, that is, when you recognize action is also what you think about and the way your mind moves, this is a teaching of ultimate responsibility, not of there's nobody here. It's a teaching of every moment counts. You know, Don't let your mind sit on that one because you're going to get the result of it. You know, don't don't think on those things. Don't read that. Don't write that. Don't say that because you're going to get the results of it. You know, be careful. And of course, most of us have to find out the hard way, don't we? You know, we don't really know. But if you keep basically you keep the fundamental precepts, then you learn from the knocks and the and the distress and the whatever goes on, and you where you feel things are worth getting involved with and what's good to let go of. Certainly I find that one of the things that's challenging for Westerners particularly is the sense of just don't read too much, you know. Don't, because uh, it's one of our great privileges, isn't it? You know, intellectual education, liberal education, the encyclopedia of world knowledge. We can be completely knowledgeable and educated and, you know, wonderful possibilities to reap the inheritance of thousands of years of culture and literature and, his- and history and you know and then suddenly can't do that it sounds like censorship banning of my rights as a human being for education well actually you know but then this is why when we live the holy life it's really you've come in with that sense of recognizing not everything that feels good does you good there are short term benefits and long term results read too much think too much if you don't have some way of filtering that you can get really confused even too much Buddhist stuff when you get different techniques and systems and he says that and they say that and she says this and it says that there and you go (laughs) so you know the forest tradition they're quite Strong on that, like you know, just something to stop reading altogether, or you know, ten percent, twenty percent enough because of that that need to check this habit we have, filling ourselves up. But you know, it's always as a Buddhist, there's practice is pretty open. You know, to make your choices, but really, no cause and effect. who you hang out with, what you talk about, really know the causes and effects. And uh, so that's an ongoing inquiry, isn't it? And then when it comes down to this retreat time, the meditation, just starting to know what particular 
you've got a range of, like you have a tool belt with various meditation systems on them. You know, mindfulness of breathing, being with your body, sweeping the body, listening to silence, you know, practicing metta, recollections, parts of the body, a super loathsomeness, you know, and you've got these range of things. You can pick one up and have a go with that. And it's good to keep all these on your tool belt so you know when to whip them out when you really need it. <laughs> Buddha, Buddha said that it, uh, you know, one of the most helpful ones is just, just recollection of impermanence. He said, you know, this is going to change. Which is great, isn't it? Because that, that in itself, that stuck sense, which is the, the pits, <laughs> you know, this, this is going to change. Mm. The recollection of the, the, uh, the kind of the futility of the world when you're going through, uh, traveling, and I see a lot of glittery stuff. So, you know, you go through an airport, there's all this perfumes and wristwatches and leather bags and Johnny Walker and other kinds of booze and food and stuff like that. And you think, oh, sick of it. It's all so, so superficial. You know, it's those things like magpies put in their nests, just glitter. And you get a real feeling of, of you know, not, not aversion, just like, oh, God. not hatred so much, you just don't nibida, you know, don't want to go there. How, what a waste of time. You can, so that's, a, that's, a, that's skillful. That's a skillful karma, skillful practice. Knowing what you what is wise to attend to, what's skillful to attend to. And I practice a lot just, um, you know, when I, just with the body, because uh, one of the qualities of uh, embodiment is, is uh, recognizing it that apart from these volitional formations, which are the most active, apparent forms of, of sankara, you also have a very, almost like the, the channels also called sankara, the channels through which these energies rush. And, and the, one of the primary ones that we often don't use very much is the bodily channel, kaya sankara. And this is really to do with breathing or with the breath energy. You know? As you could say it's your nervous system, if it's easier that way. So when you feel yourself riled up or rattled up or tensed up, then it's good to work directly on that nervous energy. Tensed up. Or we feel kind of falling apart and slack. And then to work directly on that, and this is what Anapanasati is about. Because Anapanasati is a gift of the Buddha, recognizing that a simple thing like breathing in and out actually connects to the nervous system, and that really, um, you know, if you can if you can cultivate that, you can you can cool, you can heal, you can brighten your whole nervous system, and when you feel like that, then your mental, your kite, your chitta sankara, or your mental or emotional energies also start to feel more comfortable, relaxed. And when that's the case, your vajji sankara, your thinking energies, start to quieten down. <laughs> not cheer up now and then, but they're not that kind of nagging, you know, gerbil on a treadmill going crazy sense of the thinking mind. And just a kind of little purr and a chirp 
and the noting what's going on. So that, so that you know, the the thinking energy sits dependent on the emotional energy, and the emotional energy depends on the bodily energy. These are three channels of sankara. And what an unenlightened or what an uneducated person does, they try to think about their thoughts. It doesn't it's just more, isn't it? Or think about their emotions. More. It doesn't discharge it. Think about why they're feeling this or that or the other. It doesn't discharge it. In fact, it tends to solidify it as this is what I am. I've really got to think about this. Kaya Sankari just start to go to the body and feel the effects. Now, I guess why um, you know most people do get who don't meditate, and even people who do, we do get caught by our emotions and thoughts, is because this body energy thing is not that clear, not that evident, not that well practiced. So it's worth, I always find it very worthwhile to, to cultivate that. Because I, when it does, when I do get it, it does have very useful effects. So if we're doing anapana, sati, then the, you know, sense of karma, the cause, the active agent, bringing yourself to that. Bringing yourself to that. And the me sense will often be, is 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 in the, the general overall feeling in the body. Feel tired, feel kind of dented, bruised, feel a bit sort of racy, a bit too much energy, you know, bursting out. When that's and when that is held as myself, then all kinds of funny stuff starts happening. But if we hold it just as the body energy and then you begin to practice connecting your breathing to that, making sure your breathing flows along with that. Because along with the breathing comes the, the central channel of bodily energy. So if you notice, you know, the Buddhists always saying in the Anapanasati Sutta, every section of it is, you know, breathing in, breathing out. There's a short breath, breathing in, breathing out. Experiencing the bodily formation, breathing in, breathing out. Calming the bodily formation, breathing in, breathing out. It makes a very clear, it doesn't make a particular point of where you focus on the breathing. It doesn't make a particular point you notice in, out, in, out, in, out. Why does he do that? I'm sure the Buddha understood that we all know we breathe in and breathe out. Why is it so important? Because there's a very different, if you focus on that aspect of it, you'll notice the breath breathing in and breathing out as sensations are not that much different. But as energies, they are different. You know, breathing in and breathing out, both experiences a slight pulling in the nostrils or a sensation in the nostrils and some sensation in the diaphragm. But as an energy, breathing in is very different from breathing out. Feel what happens when you breathe in. In perhaps a larger, wider sense, you know, we say take a deep breath, brighten up. Mm-hmm. Breathing out is very much more associated with just letting it go, dropping your shoulders, relaxing your hands. Yeah. Now that's, that's not that refined, but it's there. 
when you begin to sense that that pattern of energy does affect the whole body, then you can start to really work on where it feels stuck. Your chest, throat, belly, diaphragm, the way your arms are pinned to the body. It can be held around the forehead and the eyes, the jaw, wherever you feel some sense of either too much energy building up or tightness, compression, or not enough. That's where you need to to um, bring breathing, breathing through it. Now this isn't blowing air through it, but it's feeling the effect of when you breathe in, how that part of your body fits, knows that. Breathing out, how that part of your body senses that. First of all, it probably doesn't sense it very much, that's why it's stuck. If it, if it was sensing, it wouldn't be stuck. So there has to be also this application of attitude of all the time in the world and a feeling of opening up, letting yourself feel the stuckness of it, the flurry of emotions that may occur with that, and not wanting to feel it. Quietly breathing through it, one breath at a time, quietly. Because these stuck places are places where they're stuck because there is a, a, you know, an emotional charge there. Or sometimes we call it past karma. You know, we park a, something, intensities there. So you've got to go very, not with some fix-it attitude, but just almost like just letting the, letting the, the movement of the body, letting the movement of the air, letting the movement of the energy just pass over that through that, around it, opening and softening. So the way you can kind of clear Vipaka doesn't have to be there forever. It's not doom. Point of the teaching on karma is not we're all doomed, My, my karma is this, but we can all act. That's what the word means. Karma means action. It means we can all act. And the thing is to know the appropriate domain and the most useful field for action at any given time. And this one will never do you any harm. You know, this is the most important one. Of course, other things we you know, need to do, walk around, eat, drink, bathe, exercise, whatever, but uh, as, as a all the time, you know, breathing in, breathing out, it's going to be there. Something you can do as long as you're alive. In an airport, you know, sitting on a plane, going to a meeting, you know. Receiving bad news, when you receive some tragic news, it's good to just feel that, breathe in and breathe out. So that immediate impact and charge is received. We're not defending ourselves against it. We're not pretending it isn't there. It's received. and then Find a way in which your energy can be with that. When we find we can be with that, we no longer feel so overwhelmed. And then the, the tide starts to turn. When you don't suddenly feel kind of dumped on and stuck. 
And then the time can turn. And think, oh, it's just a feeling, just an impression, just a perception. Okay, we can be with that. Don't have to not have that perception. Be with that. Breathe in, breathe out. Don't have to change it. Don't have to get rid of it. Be with it. Breathe in, breathe out. Let that do what it needs to do. Let it go where it needs to go. I think it's important to to get, you know, I find it very well, I find it very helpful to be with that. As, uh, you know, in Sangha life, a lot of it, from my point of view, there's a lot of things that times, either occasionally feel negative, irritated, opinions about people. You just didn't have these feelings and impressions and opinions about people, but there it is. So I can either get wound up about it or feel guilty about it, embarrassed by it, or just, okay. And then, oh, it's an impression. So whatever one does, or, you know, on a bodily or a verbal level, at least you've cleared yourself from the feeling of oppression, the feeling of compulsion, the feeling of reactivity. So you won't generate any negative karma. And then this is this life is an experiment in some ways. Seeing how it's gonna we're all kind of you know, we have our own lives to live. We can spend time together. It works, it doesn't work. Practice with it. Make your own choices. As to what seems suitable to, to work out where you're getting stuck. It's not a blame thing, it's inevitable. We will always be, we are, we are stuck, we get stuck. There's nothing wrong with that. If you weren't getting stuck, you'd be an arahant. If you're not an arahant, you're getting stuck. It's not because you can't practice or you don't know how to practice. It's because you, you're not an arahant, that's why. <laughs> so we, you know, get used to it, get over it. Don't make a big issue out of it. So this is, this is a you know med- this meditation is to me is a very generous offer, time, place, and if you you know and actually widen and recognise the opportunities that the Buddha has given that the ongoing Buddhist tradition has given, no matter you know whatever its form is or its weird bits are, it's given me this possibility. I think you know from more or less the first time I started meditating, I. Myself, I recognise I'm not going to do this unless I've got something, <laughs> some monastery or something that's going to hold me to do it because I, I haven't got the, I'm not going to do this hanging around in my life as a lay person, you know. 
<laughs> the way I am, 25 years old, you know, I better get somewhere to lock me up, you know, at least for a few months. And then you kind of, okay, so, okay, you want to do this, you want to can't do this, you've got to do that, fair enough. Go along with it. Because it's uh, in the sense of the, you know, pragmatically using the occasion and a feeling of some gratitude for that when I open up. And I can certainly feel some resentments for it. You know, I can go to that. Resentment, the constrictions, the, the odd pieces of custom, the burdens, the duties, the responsibilities, I can go to that place. Where does that take me? Or I can take, come to the place of, you know, if I wasn't do, hadn't got this opportunity, what would I be doing? I'd be resenting something else. <laughs> resenting my wife, resenting my kids, <laughs> resenting the boss. So then resentment's not some, you know, oh, you tragic failure. It's just, I'm sure, I'm sure we, I imagine we all resent something or another. One of the one of the movements that the mind can make: doubt, resentment, ill will, craving. Get used to it. Get over it. You know. But then, you know, we try to at least encourage it's the recollections to try to turn the mind towards that which actually makes it feel happier and brighter and more positively inclined. Gratitude, or the support ongoing daily support, you know, that, and also that one's fellow dumb affairs aren't, are actually trying to help as best they can. They're not deliberately, you know, antagonizing. So, then, you know, just working with it. So, this is kind of, uh, realize these, these karmic, you have, you know, we parker, and then you have residues, and a lot of these residues of what appear to be ourself. <coughs> Inclinations. And there's two possibilities that are encouraged. One is follows inclinations that seem to be towards the good, the bright, the beautiful, the noble, the worthwhile for yourself and for others. Follow those inclinations, good karma. And the other is qualify those inclinations that take you to the end of it, end of karma. This is what insight, insight is about. Looking into that sense of self, sense of me that acts as the basis for our actions it's a perception feeling and particular sets of of reactions and responses can we breathe through those can we be with those can we see them as they are can we start to see where they're based on confusions wrong assumptions (laughs) 
the way we are, the way it should be. And being with how it is. Sometimes I like to, to practice just basically just sitting. Just sit there. See what seems to come up. It's, it's the physical feeling, the dukkha vedana, the physical feeling. And then the resistances to that, or the tightening of that, practicing with that. Or it's a particular concurrent problem, you know, some issue that's going on, it's okay, leave it that. But uh, then contemplate it rather than obsess with it. Contemplate the feeling aggregated perception and the sense of self the wounded self, the afflicted self the one who feels stuck in it, who's that and contemplate the kind of reactions one comes up with the blaming, blaming oneself blaming others, distracting hmm. start to think this is not skillful karma returning to it and this is, I think it's very useful for that you know, the fix it, figure it out mind. Just sit, walk, long time. Through all those changing currents and gales and should be and want this and all that. Just sit, walk with that without making anything out of it. This is, the you might say, a very basic practice. Can bring good results. When I was in China, I was talking with Lumpur Kema Domo, who does prison work, and he was saying, he gave a little anecdote. He said they had this uh, class A, or convict, very violent convict, in the prison, so violent he actually killed somebody in the prison. That he wasn't going to be getting out. And he said he noticed how this convict was gradually was changing. He's becoming softer, less less tense, less kind of resentful, less furious, just was more kind of relaxed and okay. And so he's trying to figure out what, what's this guy doing, you know? And the last time they kind of put him in solitary, this very violent person, he thought, well, you know, for some reason or another, I'm going to be a Buddhist, almost as an act of defiance. I'm not going to go with this Christian stuff. I'm going to be Buddhist, Buddhist. That's what I'm a Buddhist. So he didn't know he any books about what Buddhism was about. All he knew was this guy sitting still with his legs crossed, sitting there. So that's what you do as a Buddhist, just sit there. So he wanted to prove he was a Buddhist, so he'd sort of sit, put his hands together and sit upright, being Buddhist. And he'd know when the guards were coming around to check him out because they peeked through a little window of the cell to look at him. And when he knew they were coming, he'd sit. He'd sit upright with his hands together being Buddhist so that they look in they could see he was doing his Buddhist thing they wouldn't bother him he knew the, day, knew the times they'd come round so every time they came round he'd sit Buddhist being Buddhist and then he'd, sometimes they were a bit late so he'd be sitting there for like for five or ten minutes like that being Buddhist and in some days they didn't come and he'd be sitting there like for half an hour being Buddhist and he said 
after a while, I was starting to change. <laughs> Just sitting there, you know, being Buddhist. <laughs> I don't think there's anything to realize arahantship in this life, but just that recognition, you know, it can be just kind of basically going into your body and being there, you know, because it does provide some way in which the mentally emotional energies aren't dragging you out, you know, and you're coming back to it and just almost like using that as something that works by itself. I think one doesn't going to get too busy in meditation or too technique-bound where you're working on this, that, and the other, just go up in your head. Keep it just simple and direct. So being Buddhist is really doing Buddhist. So do your Buddhist bit. Standing, walking, and, uh, you know, leave the speculations behind. Try to make it like that. So it's time we have a, a day of practice together, being Buddhists.